Chapter Five of J. Poindexter Colored by Irvin S. Cobb. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Local Colored. It seems like having dealings with designing persons of my own color must have made my mind act more keen. All at once I remembers that I seen the name of our apartment house carved on a big square tombstone over the front door and it comes to me that the same's name has got something to do with grist mills and something to do with lawsuits. I studies and studies and then, like a flash, I gets it. Wheatley Court. With this much to work on, the rest is plenty easy. A man in a drugstore consults in a telephone book and gives me the full specifications for getting back to where I has strayed from which it turns out it is fully three miles away from there in a southeast direction. But I buys an ice cream soda and a pack of chewing gum before I asks the drugstore man for his friendly aid. Already I has took note of the fact that most of the folks in New York acts like they hates to answer your questions without you has done em some kind of a favor first. So I places this man under obligations to me by trading with him, and then he's willing to help me. That is, he's willing, but he ain't right crazy with joy over the idea of it. If I'd a bought two ice cream sodas, I think probably he's a moved more brisk-like. Still, he does it. So inside of an hour more, what with riding part of the ways on streetcars and walking the rest, I is home again and glad to be there. Even so, my being gone so long ain't put nobody out, because Mr. Dallas is yet in bed, but is now thinking seriously about getting up. He complains of feeling slightly better than what he did a while back. Still, he ain't got so very much appetite. Orange juice and black coffee seems ample to satisfy his desires. He also continues to remain very partial to the ice water. He says he must hurry up and dress and get outdoors because he's got an engagement to go with one of the ladies which he met the night before and look at a little car which she's thinking about buying it, but wants to get his expert opinion on it first. He don't specify her name, but I guesses it's the puny one of the two, this here Miss Billy DeWitt. Whilst I is laying out his clothes for him to put on, he calls out to me from the bathroom that I will doubtless be interested to know that we'll be staying on in New York permanent. I asks him how come, and he says he's passed his word to go in partners with this here Mr. H. C. Rayner selling oil properties. I says to him, I says, excuse me, Mr. Dallas, but it sho does look like to me we is movin' powerful fast. Only yistiddy we gets here, and today we is fixin' to bust into business. Tha's travelin'. He says you have to move fast in New York if you don't want to get run over and trampled on, and I says that certainly is the gospel truth. And he says when you meets up with an attractive proposition up here in this country, you is just naturally obliged to grab hold of it quick 
or else somebody else'll be beating you to it. I feels myself bound to agree with that, too. And then he goes on shaving himself and abusing of his skin for being so tender. I ponders a spell, and then I asks him, sort of casual and accidental-like, when was it that Mr. Raynor displayed this here desirable business notion to him, and he give his promise for to enter into it? Oh, he says, it was late last night, after we started back from the roadhouse. He's going to let me have a full half-interest, he says. I don't say nothing out loud to that but I casts my rolling eyes up to the ceiling and I says in low tones to myself, I says, uh-huh, uh-huh, just like that. That's all I says, and I make sure he ain't overhearing me, but all the time I'm doing considerable thinking. I'm thinking that excusing one of them is white folks and the other is mulatto-complected, and excusing that one has got decorated teeth and the other one just plain teeth. There's something mighty similar some way betwixt this here Mr. Rayner and that there colored imposer, which he called himself George Harris. I can't make up my mind whether it's their expressions, or the way they looks at you out of their eyes, or the engaging way they both has of being so generous-like on short notice. But it pointedly must be something or other because when I broods about one, I can't keep from brooding about the other. But naturally, I keeps all that to myself. After Mr. Dallas has done gone out, I fixes myself up something solid to eat, and then, along about three o'clock, I drifts downstairs and engages in friendly conversation with two of them West Indian boys, before very long, the subject of the educated bones gets introduced into the talk some way, and it so happens I has a set in my pocket, and I gets em out and sort of cuddles em in my hand and rattles em gentle, and one of the two boys feels persuaded to suggest that, seeing as the work ain't pressing, us three might ramble on back into a little kind of a storeroom back of the main hall downstairs and make a few passes just to keep the time from hanging heavy on our hands. Now privately I has always contended that craps dice is meant for home folks only. These here foreigners should not never toy with them if they expects to get ahead in the world. So the entertainment turns out just like I expected twould. When fifteen minutes, or maybe twenty, has gone by very pleasantly, there is not no reason why I should linger with em, and I perutes back on upstairs, taking along with me twenty-two dollars and fifty cents of strange money to get acquainted with the spare change in my pants pocket and leaving them two West Indian delegates holding a grand lodge of sorrow betwixt themselves. So that is all of undue importance which happens on our second day. End of chapter 5